You're listening to a sermon preached at Chao English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Shalom. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. Shalom. Uh, much better, much better. Well, it's a great pleasure to be with you this afternoon. And uh, I do hope the video and the little interview gave you a better connection with us. At this point, I'd like to share with you a presentation which is called The Gospel and the Passover. Now, some of you may be wondering, what's Jesus got to do with Passover? Passover is Jewish. Well, so is Jesus. And not only did he celebrate the Passover every year while he dwelt among us, but I think he is clearly pictured, pictured in all the symbols of Passover, as well as the story of Passover itself. For the message of Passover is the promise of redemption. And the story of Passover is the story of our liberation from bondage to Pharaoh and Egypt. It is my hope that you will see this presentation as more than an explanation of a commemorative meal, but that you'll view it as I do, as an object lesson of the life and mission of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you look closely, I believe you will see his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 Those of you with physical Bibles will probably get there faster than me. Luke chapter 22, and I'll be reading verses 7, 8, and then moving down to verse 13. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 7. The day of unleavened bread came, on which the Passover must be sacrificed. Yeshua, or Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. And then moving down to verse 13. They went, found things as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now the first night of Passover is the beginning of a seven-day holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, we eat nothing that contains any leaven or yeast. Why no leaven? Well, throughout Scripture, leaven is frequently used as a symbol of sin. In olden times, a small piece of leaven was used to ferment an entire portion of dough. It was the leaven that caused the dough to rise, become puffed up. Just as sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes. So during this time, as a way of saying we want to break the daily sin cycle, we eat nothing that contains any leaven or yeast. And that is why in many Orthodox Jewish homes, for six weeks prior to Passover, the house undergoes a complete spring cleaning. Spring in Israel. We remove all the cakes, breads, cereals, Vegemite, <clears throat> anything that contains any leaven or yeast. Now, this is generally the work of the woman of the house. <clears throat> But did you notice Luke says Jesus sent two men to prepare the Passover? Perhaps this is because in Judaism it is the man who has standing before God. Not only when it comes to praying, but when it comes to ceremonial preparations as well. 
So if you think about it, <clears throat> that means the man should be doing the cleaning during these six weeks. Ah, there's got to be a loophole here somewhere. Ah, I remember now. Our rabbis have come up with a terrific solution to the problem. They explain it like this. Now true, the house is spotless because the woman has spent the last six weeks cleaning and removing every speck of leaven. Well, almost every speck, that is. You see, she's taken a few crumbs and she's hidden them somewhere in the house. And it is up to the man to find them. So the night before Passover, he returns home and he takes up some rather unusual looking cleaning tools. They include a napkin, a wooden spoon, and a feather. And he goes on what we call Bedekat Chametz, the search for the leaven. Now, where could those crumbs be? Anywhere. In the basement, up in the attic, behind the refrigerator, anywhere. But fortunately, she has been good enough to hide them exactly where she hid them the year before. So finally, the husband discovers the crumbs, and with a very steady hand, he sweeps the crumbs into the spoon with the feather. But he is not allowed to touch them because they do represent sin. Instead, he wraps them up in the cloth, and he takes the bundle down to a large bonfire in the courtyard of the synagogue, where all the men of the congregation have gathered, and each throws his bundle of leaven into the flames. And then he returns home where he proudly proclaims, that I have purged my house of all leaven. But just to be certain, he has may all manner of leaven, which I have neither seen nor removed, be considered null and void, and as the dust of the earth. Amen. Well, the house has been cleansed, and the home is now ready for the Passover celebration. My ancestors are instructed to eat the first Passover with their sandals on their feet, their loins girded, and their staffs in hand, ready to go at a moment's notice. But today, today we sort of relax and recline on pillows at the table. For you see, in Mideastern societies, only the redeemed could recline at the meal, only the free. Now, on Passover, the head of the household would put on special ceremonial garments. He would wear a white robe called a kittle, and it is white because in Jewish tradition, white is the color of royalty. And you may have noticed that Jewish men often pray with our heads sort of covered with a yarmulke or a skull cap. Well, this is out of reverence for God. And on this particular evening, the head of the household may choose to wear a mitre. And so he would have the white robe, the royal robes, and the symbol of a crown, because on this evening, the head of the household is king. Well, it's nearly time to start the Passover Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word which means order, because the Passover celebration follows a specific order of service, and that order is found in this book called An Haggadah, which means the telling. And it contains the Passover liturgy, some graphics pertaining to Passover, and some songs pertaining to Passover. Well, I see everything is about ready. And there is a customary greeting at Passover, let all who are hungry come and eat. Well, I'm not really going to serve a great meal this afternoon. To tell you the truth, Pastor Kang couldn't convince me that you have a kosher kitchen. But just the same, the invitation stands. Come celebrate the Passover with us. 
Now, the Passover begins with the lighting of the candles, and this, too, is generally the duty and honor of the woman of the house. After lighting the candle, she recites a traditional Hebrew blessing, which goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kedishan, v'mitzvotah v'tzivani l'had l'kner, shel Pesach. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by thy commandments and commanded us to light the Passover candles. Now it's very fitting that a woman should kindle these lights, for it reminds us that the Messiah, the light of the world, will come not from the seed of man, but from the seed of woman, and by the will of God, as the prophet Isaiah foretold, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, a light to light the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Amen. Passover isn't just a meal, it's a banquet. And it isn't just a service, it's a ceremony. And while a meal or service might take one or two hours, the Passover celebration might take a total of four hours. But don't worry, we'll let you go before then. During this time, each adult drinks from his cup and refills it four times. Now, the first time is called the Kiddush cup, or the cup of sanctification, then the cup of plagues, and then the third cup, the cup of redemption, which is the focal point of the entire evening, and then the fourth cup, the cup of Hallel. It is with the first cup, the cup of sanctification, that the host offers a blessing for all the rest of the service to follow. Holding the Kiddush cup aloft, he offers praise and thanks to God Almighty, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Amen. Well, the service has begun, and the youngest child present comes forward to ask the meaning of Passover. He or she asks the traditional four questions which are found in the Haggadah. They are chanted, and the first one goes something like this. Ma nishtana halai lahazeh mikol Which means, why is this night differ from all other nights? And those of us who know the story of Passover are obligated to respond. This is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. He redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. But Passover imparts more than God's message of redemption. It imparts God's means of redemption. My ancestors were instructed to take a spotless lamb and to roast it whole, without breaking any of its bones, and to apply its blood to the doorposts of their homes. First to the top doorpost, the lintel, and then to the two side posts. And because of their obedience to God, and because of their faith in the effectiveness of God's provision, they were spared the ravages of the tenth plague to befall the land of Egypt. For when the angel of death saw the blood on their doorposts, death was forced to Passover, and that is where we get the name Passover. In Hebrew, Pesach, the holiday which commemorates the time when death 
passed over the houses of Israel because of the blood, the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. And what a mighty act of redemption this was. But what a picture of an even greater redemption that was to come through the sacrifice of another lamb, the lamb of God. For just as none of those first lambs were bones were broken in their death, so none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death. And just as my ancestors in faith had to apply the blood to the doorposts of their homes, so each one of us in faith must apply the blood of the Lamb of God to the doorposts of our hearts. Well, the child asks another question. On this evening, why do we eat only unleavened bread? And we explained that our ancestors, in their haste to leave Egypt, had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. And so one of the items on the Passover table is this one called the matzotash. Inside the matzotash are three layers of unleavened bread called matzah, each separated from the others by some cloth. And during the Seder, the head of the household removes the middle layer breaks it in two, and he sets one half aside, and he gives the other half a special name, the Afikoman. Now let's try saying that together, all right? Afikoman. Great. One more time. Excellent. There'll be a quiz later. Now that is not a Hebrew word. It is a Greek word, and it means that which comes later. Well, that is precisely what happens. For now, the afikoman is not eaten. Instead, it's placed into a special pouch and hidden from view, buried. And no one else at the table knows where it's been hidden. But later on, it will have to be found or the Seder will not be concluded. But for now, the child asks two more questions. On this evening, why do we eat only bitter herbs and why do we dip the sop into salt water? Well, let me explain first of all by showing you this. This is a Seder plate, and despite its appearance, it is not used for stuffed or deviled eggs. A symbolic piece of food from the Passover Seder is placed into each one of these compartments. Now, the first item is called carpas, or greens, and we generally use parsley or lettuce. And these greens represent life. But before we eat them, we dip them into salt water, so that by dipping, we are reminded that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. And this is chazeret. We generally use an onion or horseradish root. And this reminds us that the root of life is bitter, as it certainly was for our ancestors in Egypt. This is maror, freshly ground horseradish. It's the Jewish way of clearing our sinuses. Now you're supposed to eat about a tablespoonful of horseradish. Any volunteers? Do you know what happens when you eat a tablespoonful of horseradish? You cry. You have little choice in the matter. It's between the horseradish and your sinuses. And the horseradish usually wins. But like the chazer, the moror brings to our minds how bitter life is without redemption. 
By way of contrast, we have the chorosip. And this represents the mortar that our ancestors used when they had to make bricks for Pharaoh. It's made up of chopped apples, raisins, honey, and nuts, and it tastes delicious. Now, you may be wondering, though, why such a sweet mixture is used to represent such bitter toil. Don't worry. Our rabbis have a terrific answer. They explain that even the bitterest labor is sweetened by the promise of redemption. And this is called the Chagigah, which was the name given to a special temple sacrifice in Jerusalem. We roast the egg, and that turns it brown. The Chagigah is a token of grief to our people, grief over the destruction of the second temple. And so during the Seder, it's broken open, sliced, given out to each person at the table, and then dipped into salt water, which represents what? I think I heard it. Tears, that's right, tears. But it's not only a token of grief, it's also a symbol of new life. The last item found on the Seder plate is the Zeroah. It's the shank bone of the Passover lamb. You see, Passover is also called the feast of the Passover lamb. And yet at Passover, lamb is no longer served. You see, the lambs that used to be in the Passover were the Passover sacrifices, But in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed, and so was the altar where the sacrifices were performed. And so from that time to this day, no sacrifices have been made. Instead, the Zeroah, like the egg, the Chagigah, reminds us of sacrifices which are no longer offered. Now, the presence of these two items, the egg and the shank bone, raises an important question. For the law of Moses states very clearly I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. But with no temple, no altar, no sacrifice, how is atonement possible? Once, about 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish man called Yochanan. You might know him better as John, John the Baptist. Well, one day while baptizing people in the River Jordan, his eyes fell upon the form of another man, and he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how atonement, but not through the sacrifice of the Passover lambs, but through the sacrifice of the Lamb, the Lamb of God. We come now to the second cup, the cup of plagues. And in Jewish tradition, a full cup represents complete joy. But in a sense, our joy is not complete. And so at this point in the ceremony, we diminish the contents of this cup as we remember the plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians. We mourn their loss and express sorrow over their death and destruction. Pharaoh was repeatedly told what God wanted him to do. But he said, no, I refuse. I will not. Well, as a result, he brought death and destruction not only upon his land, But into his home, his son died because of his hardness of heart. And there is an important lesson in this cup. How often do we know God's will for our lives, and yet how often do we say, no, I refuse, I will not. Well, let me give you a small piece of Jewish wisdom. If God's telling you to do something, do it. 
But as I've said, Passover is a night of rejoicing, a night of thanksgiving, and a night to praise God. And I can praise God not only because the angel of death passed over my ancestors' homes, not only because the Lord redeemed them out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of bondage, but because I have been redeemed from an even greater bondage through faith and the Messiah of Israel, the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus. For through faith in him, I have passed over from death unto new life. Now, it is at this point in the ceremony that we normally have a sumptuous Passover meal. Hmm. Well, I hope you enjoyed that Passover meal. After the meal comes the most important part of the ceremony. After the meal, we come to the third cup, the cup of redemption. But the service cannot proceed just yet because something is missing. Earlier, something was broken, buried, and now needs to be brought back. Does anyone remember what it's called? The Alpha Komen. And all the children will search for the Alpha Komen, but only one will discover where it has been hidden. And once it's found, it's returned to the head of the household in exchange for a reward. And this could vary from house to house. It could be a dollar or a Porsche. But seriously, it's broken into smaller pieces, olive-sized pieces, and taken along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, does this look familiar? Well, it should, for this is the origin of the communion service or the Lord's Supper. And not only that, consider this. Where else can we find a clearer picture of our Messiah than in this custom concerning the Afikoman? The fact that it is unleavened speaks to the sinless nature of our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. Now, rabbis have laid down very specific regulations concerning the appearance of matzah. In the first place, it must be striped. Jesus was striped, as the prophet Isaiah foretold, and with his stripes, we are healed. In the second place, it must be pierced. Jesus was pierced, as the prophet Zechariah foretold, and they will look upon him whom they have pierced. But I can see our Messiah not only in this custom concerning the Afikoman, but in the Matzatash as well. Do you remember the pouch from which the Afikoman was drawn? Well, there's quite a bit of disagreement among our rabbis about the meaning of this pouch, this mysterious three and one. Some say it represents the three patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle layer broken, buried, and then brought back? Others tell us that represents the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom, the priests, the Levites, and the children of Israel. But why is the middle layer broken, buried, and then brought back? And still others tell us that it represents the three crowns, the crown of learning, the crown of the priesthood, and the crown of kingship. But why is the middle layer broken, buried, and then brought back? It isn't known. And none of these explanations gives a satisfactory answer. But why search for an answer? Why not just accept the answer that is clearly pictured in the very design of the Matzatash itself? 
There are three layers here, and yet they form a unity, a triunity. And a Hebrew word, which may mean just such a unity, is echad. And it brings to my mind the words of God given to us through the prophet Moses, who declared, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the word used for one is echad, a unity. And at Passover, the head of the household removes the middle layer of this unity, of this echad. It is made visible, while the other two remain hidden from view. As in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed upon his name. So why is the middle layer broken, buried, and then brought back? I believe because Yeshua, Jesus, was broken, buried, and then brought back. This is my body which is broken for you and you and you and all of us. Do this in remembrance of me. Now the fruit of the vine at Passover is always red. And our rabbis tell us this is to remind us of the precious blood of that first Passover lamb, which was sacrificed so that we might be redeemed from bondage and slavery to Pharaoh. In the same way, the blood of another lamb was sacrificed so that we might all be redeemed from bondage and slavery to sin. And it was concerning the cup of redemption, the cup taken after the meal to which Yeshua, to which Jesus said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The very new covenant promised to us by God through the prophet Jeremiah who declared, behold, days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their forefathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I will put my law within them, and upon their hearts will I write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And so the broken piece of the Alpha Komen and the cup of redemption are taken together, not only in remembrance of the body and blood of that first Passover lamb, which was sacrificed so that we might be redeemed from bondage and slavery to Pharaoh, but for all of us in remembrance of the body, sorry, the body and blood of that lamb that was sacrificed so that we might all be redeemed from slavery and bondage to sin. We come now to the fourth cup, the cup of Hallel. Now, all of you know a Hebrew word, but I don't know if you know that it is Hebrew. The word is hallelujah, and it means praise the Lord. Well, the first part of that word is Hallel, which means praise, and this is the cup of praise. But there is one last cup which we have not told you about. This is the cup of Elijah. This is a cup from which no one drinks. In fact, in many Jewish homes at Passover, an entire place setting is left untouched, all for the prophet Elijah, for Eliyahu Hanavi. But why? Why such longing for Elijah, for Eliyahu? Well, it was 
foretold by the prophet Malachi that before the Messiah comes, he would be preceded by the return of Elijah, of Eliyahu Hanavi. And so each year, a child goes to the door, opens it wide, hoping the prophet will accept the invitation, enter the home, and announce the coming of the Messiah. Now I know that Eliyahu, that is Elijah, has already come. For when Jesus spoke with the prophet John, he said of him, if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. The prophet, the forerunner, has come, and so has the Messiah. My Messiah is Yeshua, Jesus. Amen. Well, at this point, I would like to share a little bit with you about the ministry of international mission to Jewish people. And in so doing, I'd like to ask you to take out that prayer card that I think you would have received as you came in. Wow. We need to get those out. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, if somebody could help with that, that would be ah, terrific. So like one per family or couple or and single adult would be great. Um, so um, while that's happening, let me uh, share with you an amazing story. My wife, Rachel, that you saw in the video has just come back from Israel. Sorry, she's not here with us uh, this afternoon. She would have loved to have been with us, but um, she got stuck in Israel. You know, with all the restrictions and the, the government kept lowering the caps of how many people were allowed to fly in. And every time that happened, her flight got canceled. So uh, she only just recently got back, actually for me, on Thanksgiving Day. But, um, and I was thankful. But uh, soon after she arrived there, she met this Jewish lady who was wanted a copy of the New Testament, which is amazing for a Jewish person to want a copy of the New Testament. But she did. And not only that, she started studying the Bible with Rachel. And Rachel said, where do you want to start? She said, well, the beginning is a good place. So they started in Matthew, in the beginning of the New Testament. And uh, our prayer was that this lady would come to faith in Jesus before Rachel came back home here, and uh, which is... What an amazing prayer for a Jewish person to come to faith so fast. But the lady seemed really open, and uh, that's what we were praying for. What we did not realize is that that would lead to Rachel not being able to come back for two extra months. But thank God, uh, the lady did come to faith. It was really exciting for us. She came to faith just about two weeks ago, and, or maybe less. And um, so her name is Lily. That's what we're calling her, and we would like for you to pray for her. Uh, that she would grow strong in the faith. Um, so now that everybody has one of these cards, I'd like you to notice that it is perforated and to go ahead and begin bending it back and forth on the perforation. And in just a few moments at the count of three, we'll tear them together. Now you know that Hebrew was the language of heaven, right? Some of you might have thought it was some other language. Probably the one who wanted to uh, taste the horseradish is used to eating kimchi. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I'll count to three in Hebrew just to see how your Hebrew is coming along as you get ready for heaven. And so, and then we'll tear the card together, all right? Echad, Stein, Shalosh. Four, five, six. All right, well, unless you've done something very creative, you should now have two cards. The smaller one is a prayer reminder. That's a card we hope that you will keep and use to remind you to pray for our ministry. 
And you'll also notice on there is a QR code, something we're all familiar with now. Uh, that is so that if you would prefer to sign up for our newsletter electronically, you can do so. Also, if you would like to contribute electronically, you can use the QR code there to do that as well. For those of you who are happy to fill out a form, probably considered old school, old school now, on the back of the larger part is a place for that. And you will also see other ways in which you can contribute, including um, the uh, direct deposit uh, information. But please don't feel like you have to give in the collection in order to fill out the card and thus or scan the QR code and thus receive uh, the International Mission to Jewish People free uh, newsletter and, and our prayer letter. Uh, we'd love to have your prayers, Rachel and I in particular. And... Um, so that, that's what the card is for. And as you might have picked up through the video, our main focus during the week is meeting one-on-one -on -one with Jewish people, like Rachel did with Lily, to share them from the scriptures how it is that you can be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And that, of course, is where those of you who have Jewish friends come in. We'd love to meet them if you get to a time when you think it's a good time for us to do that. And uh, you've been praying for them, or even if you haven't been praying and you just want to introduce us, we'd be happy to meet them. Uh, sometimes it's a little easier for Jewish people to come to faith meeting another Jewish people who's believed in Jesus. On the other hand, most of you look like you're from Asian backgrounds, and Asia does not have a history of anti-Semitism. So you have an advantage in witnessing to Jewish people than most other people you might find in Australia, uh, because people from European descent have a terrible history of anti-Semitism, but not so in Asia. So uh, you also have a, a great opportunity there, and we'd love to help you with that. Uh, and again, um, we'd certainly uh, appreciate your prayers. The smaller card is a prayer reminder, and um, um, we definitely need your prayers. You can imagine uh, during the lockdown, like for many of you, things were impacted significantly. We did manage to keep in touch with people, you know, through WhatsApp, through Zoom, probably the same way as you did. Uh, so we were able to continue the ministry, but not near as good as meeting in person. And of course, we want to meet new people as well. So at this point, I think I'll turn it over to Pastor Matt. And uh, thank you so much for having us.